Welcome to The Rough Puffs. I'm your host, Andrea Bennett. And I'm Kim Fu. Uh, this is a podcast where we talk about the Great British Bake Off, and we're rewatching it from the beginning. We are up to Series 4, Episode 6, Sweet Dough Week. We are more than halfway through Series 4, Andrea. It, I know. It's astonishing. And it feels like we're really losing a lot of bakers here. We're getting down to like low numbers. And um, I have to admit that every time Sweet Dough Week rolls around, I always think like, oh, it's not actually that hard. But then they're all yeasted sweet doughs. It's not like they're doing like quick breads or anything. Mm. And it is tricky. It is it is a little trickier. There's a chronic not enough time problem, definitely. This whole episode mm. and I think with the with sweet doughs in general, um, they bring it up right away that because, you know, you're, they're all doing enriched doughs all the time. Like there's, there's butter and eggs and fruit and whatever. It all retards the yeast. And then they're working on these stupid time crunches. And it, it actually, it's, it kind of bugs me. I feel like almost every, like in the signature, everyone except for one person um, ends up being underbaked and underproofed. And it's just so sad. It's like they were all such great ideas, and I'm sure they would have been great if they just had a little bit more time. Yeah. Do you want to say what the signature is? Yes. Yeah, sorry. It's a, it's a sweet yeasted loaf. It's a tea loaf, they call it, because it gets served at tea time, um, and it's often flavored with dried fruits and herbs. And Mary, talking about these challenges, says that if they're sensible, they'll do it in one pound tins. Like, they'll do a smaller loaf. Mm-hmm. And but not many people want to do that because you want to have something that I don't know feels exciting to present, not like a bun size loaf. You want something big and impressive, um, but the only one who does well is Frances, and it's for that reason because she makes a smaller loaf. Um, a little guy, yeah. She makes a little chai tea loaf that has like a cinnamon swirl in the center. Yeah. It's it's ironically the only criticism they have for her is that it's a little boring on the outside, which yeah. is so the opposite of Frances's usual problem. Um, and yeah. she actually says during the talking head, like at home she dusted it with icing sugar and then she got here and like had that style over substance thing in her head and was like, am I just gilding the teacup here is how she put yeah. it. Which, the- one that excited me the most, and I don't know if you'll feel the same way, but was the Devonshire Panatoni, Glenn's mm. loaf, where he's marrying a uh, Cornish saffron bun with a panatoni, and he's doing saffron and nutmeg and yada yada. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so stoked about that, and it was a real bummer when it was underbaked. <laughs> like, it was, again, just simple, simple problem of time, right? Like, apparently the yeah. flavors were good. Paul said, like, the flavors were great. They were sharp. You do taste the saffron. You taste the orange. And it's just, like, he just didn't have enough time. It was just underproofed and underbaked. He, it had a gorgeous color on the inside with the saffron. And then mm. it also had kind of that nice sort of sugary, crusty thing that a panettone looks like it has. I've never had the chance to eat one that's gluten-free. It's so sad. Maybe I'll try this year, this Christmas, to make a panettone. Do you want to know the loaf that I was least interested in ever wanting to eat? If it was Howard, (laughs) I was really angry with Howard, sort of. Like, angry in the way you're... Like, I feel like if I were a teacher and he were, like, a student that I really believed in, like, a student I felt like could do better, and he just, like, kept making dumb choices and was really frustrating to me. Um, like, yeah. in my in my notes, it says in all capital letters, stop making things healthy, Howard. I know. 
So I think that this loaf, which is a loaf made with local hemp flour, and they do get a little bit of mileage out of Mary not knowing what hemp is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's with, it's made with dates also and yogurt. Mm-hmm. And hemp oil. Yeah. And to me, it's these are all of these are all easily digestible things that I had to eat a lot of when I was really sick. <laughs> and I am absolutely uninterested in like ever eating them. I don't understand why, if you could eat anything else, you would choose this combination. But actually hemp is also one of the things that I uh, tired of ever eating again because I did eat it when I was sick and it just reminds me of being sad and unable to digest other food. You know, when he was shaping his loaf and they were talking about how he was doing it free form without a pan, that was sort of like where it sunk in that I was like, you're just, you're just doing it again. You know, like it's, you know, obviously you know, at the end, Paul says the hemp is very pungent is how he puts it. Yeah. But like, even before that, you knew it was going to be this this nothing burger help lump, like just like last week, you know, like just like his his oat tray bake yeah. that is again like this like healthy granola lump. This is not like a special baking treat, you know. Mary says it's different um, twice during this episode, and one of them is an it's different, and one of them is it's different, and 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 Howard gets the sad it's different. Uh. When Paul says it, it dries out your palate, I knew exactly what he meant. Like, you could tell by yeah. looking at it that it would. Sponging the moisture out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've mm-hmm. all eaten things like that. Actually, yeah, there's this one berry thing that Will grows um, that, that is so astringent, it sucks all the moisture out of your mouth. I, you know what? I often, though, have that problem with gluten-free baked goods, uh, and then also kind of healthy bars of any kind, you know, like um, Lara bars or Kind bars and these things. Oh, I feel yeah. like they very often have this, like, they suck the moisture out of you because of all these powdered, dried, healthy things in, in like, yeah. in the mix that have to be bound together somehow so they can't be too moist. Yeah. Um, I also ate a lot of Lara bars when I was ill. And also never really want to eat another one. Yeah. Uh, Another one that I thought sounded good was Christine's Oxford Nutty Loaf, which she created to complement a cheese that's made near her hometown. So she plumps raisins and Earl Grey tea, which is a really nice way of getting some extra flavor in there. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, hers is like the rawest of all of them. Um, and Mary says basically like she's a smaller loaf next time dude Mary reacts to Christine the way I just reacted to Howard like I feel like Christine is sort of Mary's favorite and so she was like the most upset with Christine kind of like Mm. when she was doing that like a lot of people had trouble with it she was a smaller loaf thing it was like kind of like the angriest I've ever seen Mary and I think it's because she has like really high expectations of Christine Mm. she's like oh you know, she was she was very severe and very serious about it um, in a way that said to me, like, I believe in you, Christine. Like, you know, don't don't let me down like this. But yeah, like Paul wouldn't eat hers because it was so raw. I would have eaten at the edges. Whatever, Paul. Come on. Uh, <laughs> I think, too, there's probably a little bit of an expectation for Christine because uh, that she that her experience would translate into understanding to not make this particular mistake. 
Mm. I think that's part of why Mary is sort of disappointed with her. And she might give someone like Ruby or Allie a little bit more leeway with that. Which, I don't know if that's totally fair, but I feel like it's true. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do think that's true. Um, So, at the beginning, when they introduced this challenge, Sue listed a bunch of, like, traditional telos from around the UK. Um, And in my notes, I just wrote it down as British nonsense. Like, I did not, like, it's like, I did not understand, like, a word that came out of Sue's mouth. Um, But one of them was actually the one that Becca made, is the Welsh uh, Barra Brith. And I looked it up Mm. after, and... What comes yeah. up is so funny. It's like there is like this like crisis in in Wales about like thirty six percent of teenagers have never tried it or something. And I was like, that's a that's a lot, isn't it? That means like sixty four percent of teenagers funny. have tried it. Like that's a successful traditional food, isn't it? Uh, apparently, it's that essential to the Welsh identity. I guess to me, it looks a little bit like a. I guess all of these do in a way, but in particular the Barra Brith Barra Brith. Uh, it's her, yeah, I, cannot, I didn't even try. She does. There's something happening in the way she, in her accent that I. Anyway, uh, sorry, Becca. Um, it reminds me a bit of like a Christmas loaf. What are those things called? You know what I'm talking about? Christmas cake. Yeah, but but it's but it's mm-hmm. not. You know, it's Christmas cakes aren't yeasted, and they're yeah. But it does remind me of that. Um, she follows another one of her grandmother's recipes but then second guesses it because I think something in her brain is like oh dude you should be adding the fruit after your first rise but she just she, she doesn't yeah though. no she doesn't she goes with her grandmother's recipe and so Paul says you know she mixed it properly mm-hmm. um and she got the best bake she could given the fact that she added the fruit at the beginning. She did the same um, impression of Paul that we always do, like before the judging. She was like, he's going to be like underproofed and overworked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like a lot of them knew, like a lot of them knew yeah. that this was kind of going sideways just from a lack of time. Um, and a lot of them, it was like, they don't really know why, yeah. you know, like, like Christine said, you know, I did this twice at home before and it like always went fine. And then here it didn't. And then like Kimberly, who also like, same problems, underproofed, underbaked. Um, she said, it's bread, it's baking, it's what it does. I, I did feel like they just simply did not have enough time somehow. It was obviously like a very, I don't know if this makes a difference, but it was like pouring rain, obviously, right? Like it was a very moist day. Oh, and cold, so probably. So that's going to, I mean, if it had been a really hot day, that would mm-hmm. have helped the first rise and the proof at least. But, oh, well. Howard and Christine actually comfort each other before the judging. Like, they both know that it's going to be bad, you know? And they're, like, yeah. patting each other on the back, like, oh. Christine is disappointed in herself. <sighs> oh, well. Technical challenge. Apricot crone. Um, this is a Paul recipe. Surprise, surprise. When they're announcing what they need to bake, Ruby's face looks deeply and suddenly overwhelmed. Howard, though, says it doesn't fill me with dread like many of the other bakes I've done. So. At, the, at the end, Howard says this is one of the few that he's enjoyed, mm-hmm. um, which turns out to be ironic. Uh, Unfortunate, yeah. An apricot crown, crown um, is... I. It feels a little bit like when Kimberly and... Francis make their loaves in the signature challenge. They roll the dough out and then put, they roll it out into a rectangle, put 
filling, spread filling across as if you're making cinnamon buns or whatever, mm -hmm. roll it up and then shape it. And essentially this is what that is too, except you cut in half down the roll and then kind mm -hmm. of twist it together. And the filling for this one is dried fruit and orange zest and junk of that nature. So they all do really well. Like, yeah. um, they all do really well. They basically all come out really well. Like, at the beginning of the judging, Paul comes out and is like, wow, like, they all look great. And, you know, Mary ribs him for being positive for once in his yeah. <laughs> miserable life. Um, and then, and actually, after tasting them all and touching them all, too, he, he still stands by that. They're still like, you all did a really good job. One thing I thought was was funny about and I thought it was funny because this happens both in the technical and in the showstopper later uh is Becca puts a lot of icing on stuff um she's very dramatic with her icing she goes she goes all out with the icing and I think it looks delicious yeah to me it just makes things super appetizing and in both cases Paul is like it's too much icing it, it looks sloppy and it's not traditional it makes me think of like a grocery store impulse buy like I picture seeing Becca's near the cash register and being like oh, I'm just gonna grab one of those look at all that icing <laughs> it, it reminds me too of uh was it this season or last season where someone was like pie American pie we would never eat that in the UK we would have an apple yeah that was last season. Last season. Oh, yeah, when they massacred American pies. Mm -hmm. Oh, they did such a bad job. Um, uh, yeah, but no, they all of them pretty much nail it. They do a really great job. Mm -hmm. um, Glenn briefly misunderstands to twist. Like, he misunderstands yes. the directive, twists the two strands together, and begins to twist them individually. Luckily, uh, Mel, Mel saves him. Well, she asks him. She's yeah. like, now, do you think that that's what twist the two strands together means? <laughs> just like, oh, geez. At the very beginning, um, Glenn jokes that he, he might as well do this with a blindfold, because, like, that's how little he knows he knows about this um but then he's also when he's like working the dough like a tiny chunk of it flies off as he's talking to the camera and then he says do you think they're going to notice the two grams i just dropped on the floor because <laughs> the whole thing is so precise <laughs> last week i said that i i wanted to marry glenn um and i still feel that way this week I've, i kept thinking like he's so funny in this episode like he's very very funny and very very sweet and i kept mm -hmm. imagining like how well he must do on a first date, kind of, you know? Like, he would just, like, charm the pants off of you in your, like, first meal together. Um, he also does have that vibe of someone who's been in a long-term relationship for, like, a long time. Mm. But, but he is charm. He's charming. He's sweet. He's fun to be around. Um, yeah, like, slightly goofy in a way that's very charming, but might mask his skill a little bit you know what I mean yeah you're right you're right I can see that not being the best quality in a professional setting but I do but it's like I think it's a very charming quality like when you're first dating someone was my thought yeah. um I feel like I am a little bit of a Glenn but mm. maybe not quite as like happy-go-lucky unfortunately <laughs> like I make the same mistakes and then I'm like I hate myself I should wade into the ocean and stay there Okay, um, so speaking of uh, that kind of self-talk, um, JP has not been watching the season with me. And then today I was watching this episode and he came over and, and uh, Ruby was on screen. And he goes, oh, I hate her. 
Like, he remembered oh. from earlier seasons. Oh. And we have um, actually ended up cutting almost all of our discussions about this from the podcast this, to this point. We um, have. Um, but uh, the first time I watched the season, I also hated Ruby. Um, and then watching it this time, I don't feel that way. But JP said that, and I immediately, like, why? Why do you hate her? <laughs> <laughs> like articulate it because like I could not really like articulate why I really disliked her the first time I watched it and don't anymore. And he said it was just like it was just that like oh woe is me that attitude and um and I feel like in this episode it's the first time this season that I feel like it was really 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 bad like it was really on display and it was the first time everybody kind of really noted this quality about her really explicitly too like they noted her tendency to talk about her bakes in a negative way before the judging um and to kind of like like what what you just said the like the the make mistakes and then be like oh the whole thing is terrible i should just walk into the ocean i've always liked ruby but i can see this perspective i probably it probably doesn't bother me because that's the narrative that's happening in my head at all times last time around i uh I also understood where Victoria was coming from with her deeply negative self. Yeah, but Victoria doesn't get comforted for it on the show. She doesn't get comforted and then That's rewarded. True. Uh, the thing about Ruby is that she does the negative self-talk on the show and then she is comforted and rewarded. Like, she does extremely well. Um, Ruby's also young. She's a model. Like, it's there's a lot yeah. of other parts to that. Like, I feel like a lot of us go around with that voice in our head, but then we are met with the world agrees with us, right? You can't be super hot and sad at the same time? No, it's, that, <laughs> it's because it's literally what we're watching on screen. It's like we're watching on screen Ruby saying yeah. like, oh, my bake is terrible. And then being told like, no, your bake is delicious. You win. And that's not what happens to the rest of us. That's not what happened to Victoria. Is it the response she receives? Like, is it is it her fault? Or is it like a social problem of wanting to comfort only a handful of people it's what we're seeing on tv that's what i mean okay it's like we don't see victoria like we see victoria be like punished for this attitude right and that just makes us sad and we see ruby do extremely well while having this attitude and and i think that makes us angry and it's like probably out of envy fair enough all right we should say how they all do i was gonna make us go to the showstopper howard does the worst even though he says this is like one of the few that he's enjoyed um he comes last uh, because they all do extremely well, uh, and Francis is first, or Francis is second, and Ruby is first, and Kimberly's third. But it's all for really slight. It's it's all for really slight things. Like they're all delicious loaves. I I do want to say like I understand why you picked this for your baking. Like they looked yeah. delicious. Like watching this, I really wanted to eat them, and I want to eat them all. I feel like often in the technical, I'm like, oh, I kind of want to eat the person who was first. I um, mean, this one, it's like, I would eat all of them. I would eat Howard's, you know, like they all just look great and it just looks delicious and so shiny and I really wanted it. All right, let's move to Andrea's baking corner then. Um. So yeah, I made a gluten-free version of the apricot Quran and... And <laughs> unlike the bakers, mine did not really turn out the way that I wanted it to turn out. I think I, yeah. I'm surprised. It's okay. It was, it was okay. So what, I think what happened was, and I tested this after I baked the loaf, I accidentally left my yeast out 
on the counter for a bit and I killed it um, Mm. prior to this bake. And so what I had was sort of more of a pastry version Mm. of this bake. Um, And it's not the type of... um, Sometimes I I will uh, let the yeast bloom in like the liquidy parts of the bake before I add the flour in. Mm -hmm. And that's not how you do this one. So I had no clue (laughs) that the poor little yeasts had died. Yeah, it felt like a bit of a gluten-free nailed it version of these beautiful loaves that we saw. The other thing that I discovered is that um, to me, citrus is kind of like a cool flavor. Mm. And I think that I want to do this again, this technique with my alive yeast. But instead of filling, instead of doing the filling with like citrus zest and soaked apricots, you soak the apricots in orange juice too. It's a very orangey mm-hmm. loaf. But for some reason, I don't like it as much as like a lemon drizzle loaf or something. Hmm. It, I don't, what I want for this kind of dough which is, it's not a brioche, but it's an, it's an enriched dough in that vein, mm-hmm. is warmer flavors. So I really want to do it again with um, kind of like a cinnamon uh, bun type filling and toasted hazelnuts on the inside mm. and maybe some chocolate. But I, I want to try the technique again. I mean, it, it kind of looks half decent. It looks like it's supposed to um, in the final picture. The only thing I would say is that it looks a little small, maybe. But it's also hard to tell scale from these pictures. Like, in yeah. the pre-baked pictures, there's actually a ruler included, which is very helpful. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I feel like in the final, it like is a little smaller than I would have expected. And I think it's because of the yeast problems you're talking about. Exactly. But it like has like a gorgeous shine on it in the end, which makes it look very, very appetizing. Well, thank you. Yeah, Sink and I ate it. I don't know if Will had any, because we were eating it for breakfast and he often doesn't want like a sweet breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sink and I ate it for a few breakfasts. What is but, the filling precisely? Like I couldn't tell on the show either. Brown sugar, dried apricots soaked in orange juice, raisins, walnuts, and orange zest. You do an apricot jam, mm-hmm. glaze, and then you do a simple... Um, I think they call it water icing in right. England, but it's icing sugar and water just, you know, to your desired consistency. And then flaked almonds. The other thing that makes yours look really appetizing that um, Christine, well, actually a lot of them struggled with, um, but Christine oh, comes yeah. to mind because she like closed hers up altogether, is that you have a lot of filling exposed on the top. Um, yeah. So it's like you can tell looking at it that it's like full of delicious things in addition to being appetizingly glazed. Um, listening to you talk about like being disappointed in it um at, at the very beginning when I was like looking at the pictures of it um because it looks really good in the pictures um it made me think like ha- I have further thoughts about the ruby thing um I think it, it can be as simple as it's irritating to hear someone talk negatively about something that you think they've done well kind of right like yeah. the, all the way through the signature Christine was was talking negatively, right? Like she was talking about how badly this was going and how it was over, like from almost from the jump, you know, um, as she knew it was bad, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so it was Howard. And that doesn't great because they're right. You know, like they, they were right. Yeah. Like they were having like <laughs> concrete errors and they were upset about them. Um, so it's like, of course, that is a natural response. When you watch someone succeeding and doing everything right and then like talking shit about it and then at the end, like it's like, no, they did everything right. It's... 
it's irritating in a very basic way. Like it seems like, I know, I know what you're saying. Like, I know that you're saying like, no, this is like a genuine anxiety response. You know, this is like what it sounds like mm. in your head, but from the outside, I think it can, can just come across as insincere or like hedgy or like you're, you know, you're asking to be comforted because how else is anyone supposed to react to that other than to comfort you? I know. And I, I know what you're saying. It's like, that's not actually what's happening. That's not actually what she wants. That's not actually what's happening in her head. Um, but I do feel like that's how it feels from the outside is it feels like someone is soliciting comfort or being insincere potentially when it's obviously, obviously that they're not making mistakes. They're not doing anything wrong. You know, I want to hug, I want to hug Christine and Howard. Um, and I feel like irritated at Ruby. Right. Does it feel performative to you or it can, I think that that's like, that's another way it can feel. It can feel like they're, you know, like, or, or like they're, you know, they're trying to decrease expectations or, you know, like, Mm. I, I do think like there's a lot of ways that people it's, I agree with you that in Ruby's case, it is probably just anxiety and it is genuine, but I think a lot of people do do this in a way that isn't genuine. They do this to, you know, they do this to solicit comfort or to lower expectations or, or because, or because they're even like socialized to think that they have to talk like this all the time, right? Like this is something that frustrates me when you're in like groups of women, mm. right? Is like everybody sits around like, you know, denigrating themselves, and I want to, and then, and then you comfort each other, but it's like this pointless circular exercise. Mm. I, I think you're right. It's not fair in Ruby's specific case. I do think this behavior in general can be very irritating. Mm. Yeah. If groups of women do it, then that must mean it's sort of like socialized thing to do because you're not culturally supposed to be up on yourself. Mm-hmm. And so the way to get positive feedback is to fish for it mm-hmm. through negative self-talk, yep. which is sad. Yeah, it's not something I yeah, would blame any one person for, but it would be nice if it changed but also on watching this show it is also annoying when people are overly cocky although there was the same sort of like I think it was with John maybe last season versus oh poor what's his knobs to me Stuart tomato cake fellow mm-hmm. where one of them seemed like earned cockiness and the other felt like unearned yeah cockiness. that's how we describe them is that that uh John is Stuart if he if Stuart were good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh dear. Um, but then we learn more about John's family life, and any irritation I had about that sort of dissolved. Anyway, we should probably move on. But yeah, suffice it to say too that if my apricot Quran had been on that table, it would have been in dead last but that's I feel like I'm okay I'm actually okay with that I was sort of thinking about like the bakes I've done this season so far Mm -hmm. and which have been successful and which haven't been as successful and I think millionaire shortbread's actually been my (laughs) my Mm. favorite (laughs) okay you know what you know else I would say about your crown looking at it is it's clear that it was not your fault do you know what I mean like because Mm -hmm. of the where you've taken the progress pictures like you've done everything correctly including like the most 
challenging parts. You know, it's like rolled out to the right thickness. Like it's the right amount of filling. It's spread out the right way. It's split correctly. It's rolled correctly. It was the correct size. Um, and then at the very, very end, it's like, it looks a little small in a way that like suggests like what you're talking about to me. And then you yeah. personally don't like these flavor combinations. So it's like any yeah. of these problems are just like, you know, there were issues with the yeast that were not your fault. And then there's like, you don't love these flavors, which is like, Paul's fault if anybody <laughs> yeah <laughs> other people seem to like it so I think it's it must just be a personal taste thing and I thought I would love it um but I do really want to try it again doing kind of like a hazelnutty mm. type of situation so I'll keep you updated I, I like down to the technique because I love the way it looks yes especially in the glu- gluteny versions yours looks looks very beautiful like I don't think it has any oh, okay. problems appearance wise it's very shiny in an appetizing way and the filling yeah. is visible and the filling's not burnt either. Like it, the filling is visible, but it didn't burn. And yeah. like, it looks super appealing in the same way that theirs did. Well, thank you. It's, it def- it's a, it's a little craggier because I didn't get the full rise in the oven, but I think that that might be suitably disguised the cracks just hold more icing right like I yeah. think that's yeah. then it looks kind of like a like a you know a fritter like a donut yeah <laughs> and I did go I went for a Becca level of icing also I should say yeah but, I'm all I'm all um, for that me too I mean if you're gonna have if you're gonna I just yeah make it as delicious as you can get it the showstopper um starts right after the technical challenge this episode um, they do sweet buns. They need to make two different varieties of European sweet buns. Uh, Sue makes a joke and says, basically, this challenge is Nigel Farage's worst nightmare, which ver- dates this episode to <laughs> within the Brexit window. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get 30 minutes to whip together their doughs uh, so that they can kind of chill out and rise in the fridge uh, before their four-hour bake tomorrow. This is the sort of traditional way to do this kind of dough is to let it rise, chill, chill. Oh, yeah, chill for a while. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. Um, I love the names of all of these buns that come up in this. <laughs> I love them all so much. We have so many cool names. A lot of schnecken, which I know from gardening means snail. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> there's this German guy who is obsessed with getting rid of slugs and snails in his garden to the extent that he tested out all of the different old wives tales and uh, common wisdom and blah de blah and made little videos with slugs that he plucked and like set up and I watched so many of those videos because he had done the work for me already and I can tell you how to keep slugs out of your garden but anyway did the pools of beer does the dishes of beer work do they fall in and drown yeah they can but the beer also draws more slugs to your yard. Mm. Um, eggshells don't really work. Any of the stuff that is supposed to be sharp yeah. doesn't really work because the slugs and snails are so good at having like that mucusy part of their body to go over stuff that mm. they go over it like a breeze. What works is a wide enough band of copper that they can't stretch over it because if they have bits of two bits of their body touching the copper it gives them a little shock isn't that expensive slugs are big yeah it is expensive (laughs) i had some pots that i hooked up with copper take because 
I wanted to keep them out of my basil. It was driving me crazy to have holes in my basil. There's a slug fence that kind of is like triangular in such a way that they can't climb up it. They get like stuck. Oh, is that cheaper than copper? No. (laughs) Oh. Oh, yeah. And then there's literally electrocuting them. So how? What does that mean? Like with you a set little... up like a yeah with a little wire running around your oh, raised bed or whatever yeah it's pretty intense. What I landed on with my garden is mostly not caring and mm. not starting anything from seed in the ground. I do all of my seedlings in the greenhouse or wherever, and then once they're big enough to take a little bit of slug damage, then they go into the ground. Coming back to uh, the schnecken, yeah. um, <laughs> Mel says to Howard, like, oh, you're a, you're a little schnecken, you're a little snail, yeah. right? Um, and he says, thank you. And Paul says, thank you. You say thank you to that? Right before that exchange, like before Paul said that, I was thinking, like, that is really mean. Like, because Howard is kind of, he both physically and, like, spiritually makes one think of, like, turtles and snails. I don't know. I felt like it was a mean thing to say. I don't think it was, like, a a sweet little moment. I felt like it was kind of a mean thing to say to him. I love Howard so much. The tone of her voice made me think it was loving. Was patronizing. I thought it was patronizing. Like, that's not a thing you say to, like, your elder and a grown man. Oh, yeah, I guess he is her elder. Huh. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. He makes peachy bums, peachy, oops. <laughs> I was so disappointed by the peachy buns. They looked so good and it was such they a good idea. so good. He made the little They're... butt cleft with spoons. I loved it. And then. Yeah, oh. the peach disappeared. It was mm-hmm. so sad. And I feel like if he'd called them like peach illusion buns and then made them like saffron or something. Like... <laughs> Wouldn't have, wouldn't have mattered, but because they're supposed to be peachy. But I don't actually know. I was thinking about it afterwards. I don't know how you would make a good peachy bun the way that he's trying. Maybe to. Maybe you have like like a like a vein of of peach jam or like a jam thick. Yeah, you know, like the way um in in the in the signature, Kimberly had a spice butter, which sounded amazing. Yeah. And I was like, I feel like something like that, like some kind of peach flavor vein running through it. Yes. You can't have pieces of peach because when you bite into a peach bun, you want to get, like, punched in the face with peach flavor. And peach is kind of a subtle flavor. That's the other thing. Well, this is the thing. And so you're used to eating, like, you're thinking of eating a nice juicy peach, Mm -hmm. and it is so hard to replicate that flavor. People bake with peaches and yada yada with peaches, but I feel like... Just eating a peach is kind of like the best way to have peach. Or maybe like a Will likes peach milkshakes. But something that's not, that doesn't have a lot of other ingredients and is as fresh as possible. Um, or, or like, or you distill the peach flavor. I don't naturally love a lot of different kinds of candy, but I do love the peach slices. Yeah, me too. Me too. So to me, it's like either you want to eat a fresh peach or if you're going to have like the distilled peach flavor, I'm thinking like peach slice. I also like that fake peach flavor and alcohol too. Like I really like Bellinis, Uh, you know, where they make like peach slushies. (laughs) 
for grown-ups. I do. I, do, I really like peach flavoring, actually. Yeah. Um, and peach I think flavoring is great, mm-hmm. but it's not a peach. Yes. Like, baking with peach is not peach flavoring, yes. which is, I think, where the gap exists. Um, mm-hmm. Who else? Francis does X's and O's with hot crush hot cross brioches and rhubarb and custard colashes. Um, she overproves her hot cross brioches. Uh, the collages work out really well. They look nice on the board. Even though there's the overproving, I like hers go really well. Like they, Paul and Mary talk a lot about how delicious they are. They use all their favorite words. You know, they're scrummy and moist and you can taste the caramel and the sugar. It's almost like a donut. I was really excited about Francis and Christine for the same reason. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you mention custard in the near, uh, like a sweet loaf, I'm all about it. Yes. I really thought Frances was going to win this episode. Interesting. Frances is the only one that did well in the signature. She was second in the technical. And then I, even with the overproofing, which felt like it wasn't that big a deal. Like, I feel like hers looked a little deflated because they had, like, puffed up and then shrunk down. Um, yeah. I thought for sure she was going to win. And she actually does not. <laughs> no. I have seen, like, an uncountable number of times. I have seen overproofed baked goods be served in bakeries Mm -hmm. that look exactly like Francis's. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not an uncommon problem. Um, And in a bakery, no one is saying, like, okay, we have to turf those. It's onto the shelf with you. I've eaten a lot of bad custard in baked goods. Like, especially when it's, like, concealed. You know, it's, like, custard in the middle of something, and then you bite into it, and the texture's just all wrong. You know, it's, like, grainy or, like, a tiny bit scrambled eggy. Um, Even Mm. if it's, like, a bakery where you get this custard bun all the time, and it's good 90% of the time, sometimes you just get, like, the bad custard day. Or Mm. it's, like, a little bit like uh, the yolk of a boiled egg. That texture. <laughs> I've had that happen. Like, because I, I really like custard buns. That's why I have so many experiences yeah. to pull from. Um, but yeah, so I was excited about both of those. Um, uh, oh, Becca. So a chocolate and rum soaked prune brioche does not sound good to me personally. Um, and cardamom spice lemon ice buns do sound good to me. Mm-hmm. Although... I have never eaten an ice bun, and every time I see them on this show, they look like hot dog buns that have had icing piped onto them. So that doesn't get dispelled I, for me. So I've had, um, you know, I don't know the history of this. I don't know if this comes because it's British or not. But ice buns are very popular in um, Chinese bakeries, like Hong Kong style ones and other other overseas Chinese bakeries. I don't know. I like them. They, and you're right. They do They do look like hot dog buns with icing on them, but they don't taste like that. <laughs> and they're great. Are they sweeter than hot yeah, dog yeah, buns? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a sweet dough. It's like a milk bread dough, right? Um, oh, it is okay. a sweet dough. And sometimes they have fillings as well, in addition to oh, the okay. icing on top. Um, sometimes they are just icing. The thing about... Go ahead. What's your issue with the hot dog buns? In North America, they're sweet. Like, white bread is kind of sweet. And so... I think that's where my issue lies. But they also, hot dog buns feel savory, even though they are kind of sweet. So I think I just, well, I guess I need to bake a gluten-free version because I'm not going to be able to go to the bakery. They're not making it at the gluten-free bakery, an ice bun. So if I want to have the understanding of what they actually taste like, I'm going to have to bake them myself. It's not like, okay, so I feel like there's like an American cheap 
hot dog bun has a it, it's sweet but it's like an added sweetness on top of like a ready yeasty like almost sour like there's a tiny tiny note of sourness from yeah like it's breadiness uh exactly but like you know what a maybe you don't i don't know like like the like japanese milk bread or like chinese buns from the bakery uh like i remember from my childhood yeah, yeah okay that's, it's ringing bells that's a different type of sweetness that's a lot like milder and like a little bit creamier and more intentional feeling and it doesn't it's not bready in the same way it's missing that like base or sour note yeah too, yeah right? it's missing okay. the sour note um that's what the what the iced buns taste like okay all right um but yeah so yeah, they make fun of her icing technique again, but yes. they like her ice bun. The prune, they also feel, ruins the brioche, which, fair yeah. enough. Too intense, they say. I, You know, when they showed her at the very beginning blending the prunes that had been soaking in alcohol, I was picturing you being like, blah, blah, blah. Like, I yeah. imagined that that scene would have been really, like, off-putting to you. Prunes have a bit of a medicinal vibe to me. Mm-hmm. I guess alcohol does too, in a way. But it's just no. It's a very much like not me. I feel like this dessert. She was sort of thinking like, what would a seventy-five-year-old British woman want to eat? But she guessed wrong. It was also <laughs> soaked in rum. I was thinking rum-soaked yeah. prunes blended. Extremely not Andrea. Nope. Extremely no. Yeah, you're right. That's correct. <laughs> Um, let's see. Who else do we have to talk about? Oh, you know, sad was Glenn's cannibalin. He, what does he do there? Like, just extremely way too much cinnamon? Like, enough cinnamon to sink a barge moving through the Salish Sea or something. He royally fucks it up. Yeah, he can't get them out of the tin. It's very sad all around. He cries, like, before the reveal. Like, before the judging. He cries because they've been such a disaster he cries so much it's like one of the biggest cries in the show he cries so much that he can't talk Mm -hmm. which also i guess happens but in a different way with um one of the finalists from last season when he's talking about how his cake is going to reunite his family that's putting it flippantly i don't love a symbolic cake we've talked about this but um so my apologies to, I, it was a heartfelt moment, mm-hmm. but Glenn balls his eyes out. I feel so bad for him. Yes. So, so bad. Um, and with his apricot brioches, almond and apricot brioches, he, it feels like he just makes some kind of, a few missteps that, that, yeah, I feel really bad because they look good except for these couple of missteps, but they give him a really like, they sort of pummel him over these they do steps like his apricots just like cut up and put on top instead of being mixed in and Mm -hmm. like who cares a little bit but oh well i do feel like they were hard on him but some of that i think is because in general people were pretty strong i think um and so that's why i think the negative ones they came out seeming seeming pretty harsh kimberly Mm. they say Kimberly they kind of blow past, but basically they say, like, the flavors aren't strong enough. Like, that it's kind of underwhelming. Yeah. They can't taste the almond cream at all um, in her... Which is sad. They are the kind of thing where if they are bland, they would live and die on that. They're like, a Danish cannel schnurrer. Yes. <laughs> they have another great name. Mm-hmm. And then finally, Ruby does twisted Swedish cannibaler. 
cannibal i'm making it sound like hannibal the cannibal and that is not how anyone else says it yes and um saffron saint lucia buns yeah the saffron buns look so delicious to me so delicious scrummy you could say she opens with i'm sorry um and says that she left them in the oven too long um and that they're basically biscuits and they would have been good last week um which was biscuit week uh, and then Paul and Mary love them. Um, they say they're really impressive. The flavors are amazing. They're not overbaked. They're super impressed. They love them. They are very dark in color, I thought. But they do look, like, they look dark and crispy, which I thought was strange for a sweet loaf. But um, It's possible she had her oven a little hot again. She did have that possible, or she did have that problem in the... Uh signature but her saffron saint lucia buns do look really good but mary does also give her a hard time for quote-unquote looking forlorn (laughs) every time she comes up to the so she says that at the end to the can like not to not she doesn't say that during the judging to the judging she in during the judging she just says like don't tell us too much Um, oh right you're right you're right Okay, so they, they, they really dug in on Glenn, right? As we just said, you know, they, Paul says to him, like, did you taste it? You should taste it, you know? Um, mm. So Glenn is pretty sure he's going home because they were very harsh on him. So here, here's how I felt at the very end. I thought, like, Glenn's going to go home and Francis is going to win. And then they come out um, and Ruby wins and Howard goes home. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think if it was like, we're judging across the season. I would have sent Howard home too. I do feel like he makes the same mistakes over and over again. And I was getting really frustrated with him. And I felt like, okay, fair enough. But this episode, I sort of thought I was surprised. I thought Glenn was going. Sue makes fun of Ruby at great length for before she yeah. announces that she's the winner um, about like, oh, we're so worried about giving this person star baker and they'll, they'll, they'll get a big head. Like they're so cocky and full of them. You know, like, she makes fun of Ruby for a long time before announcing that she's Starbaker. Um, and I have to assume that Showstopper was really, really good in a way that we cannot comprehend. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, it, it didn't come as a surprise to me that Ruby had won Starbaker again. Exactly. But, um, and it also, I knew Howard was going home. Glenn did better on his signature than, than Howard. Howard bleh signature bleh Mm -hmm. and glenn had a great one Mm -hmm. glenn made some mistakes in the showstopper one of his buns was like just a complete failure but then howard also had the peachless Mm -hmm. peachy buns i guess i felt like coming into the showstopper everyone was on pretty even footing sort of going into the showstopper and i was like unsure who would go home and then i felt like they went really hard on glenn um is how it felt they did yes they did go really hard on glenn and it made it and then he cried a lot yeah yeah. and so going into the judging i can see why that would signal like okay glenn's going home but like looking back at the day's bakes or the couple of days bakes Mm -hmm. it's for me it's like clearly howard glenn's conclusion was like i have to get my act together for howard you know like he worked so hard. He did so well. And, like, now he's gone home. And Like, Glenn feels like it should have been him. What I think is so funny is that the note the episode leaves on is Paul is like, it's such a shame. I like Howard. And Mary yeah. is like, if you don't do well, you have to leave. Like, it's such a like, yes. funny reversal of their roles <laughs> in that, like, last minute. Paul is a little bit prone to sentimentality. Hmm. But Mary at this point is just more like, all right. 
Yeah. Put up or shut up, guys. Yeah. <laughs> now it's, it's getting down to the competitive edge. So duel or be sliced or fall over. I don't know what's happening with the edge. Duel or be sliced. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where it's going with that metaphor. But I followed through with it. All right. Well, we should wrap up. I think we've sufficiently covered sweet dough. <laughs> Until next season. Your hosts have been Andrea Bennett and Kim Fu. Uh, we both also write books. Andrea's most recent is Like a Boy But Not a Boy, an essay collection that's very good and available wherever fine books are sold. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Rough Puffs or on Instagram at The Rough Puffs. Um, please do follow us and say hi over there. We'd really like to hear from you and rate and review us on iTunes and just tell a friend about the show and... Yeah, go look at, like, pictures of Andrea's bakes and Andrea's notes about baking and adapting. Yeah, yeah, we're around. Say hi. We're so lonely. Bun soiree. Like, bon soiree, but bun soiree. Hmm. Subtle. Oh, no. (laughs) In your pronunciation, it's subtle. Subtle.